0: Thanks for being here. The question is, what is the key to lower crime rates? Is it a combination of two things, or is it better legislation or better enforcement of laws by law enforcement? We understand that there has to be a relationship between prosecution and arrest. That it doesn't matter how good a cop is, or cops are. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how good they are at their jobs. Doesn't matter what kind of a case they put together. If you don't have prosecutors that are willing to, or able to because of staffing, issues prosecute those people if you don't have that ability to do both it uh, the community suffers I I brought this up earlier this morning because I thought it was an interesting topic that the state of Arizona is proposing a law that would change the verbiage and the idea of what we do with fentanyl busts. That if you are a fentanyl trafficker and you sell fentanyl and one of your fentanyl pills kills someone, then you are going to be held for murder because you've poisoned that person. And so is that a change that could change things? Texas is talking about doing it. Arizona is talking about doing it. And is it something that might work? Is it something that might, with those teeth in this, is it something that might actually be effective? And it's a question that a lot of people have when it comes to policing. You know, you look at the people involved. If you don't have one of the I'm going to take a, a, a quick turn here. There are a couple of sheriffs, I would say three in particular in Florida that are very outspoken. Uh, one of them happens to be my brother and my sister in law's boss. His name is Carmine Marcino. He is the sheriff of Lee County, Florida, uh, he has a huge social media Presence. He's got a big media presence. But you've got to remember that the sheriff is a position that's elected. The sheriff answers only to the voters. The sheriff does not answer to a county board of supervisors or to the city council or to a city or town manager or a county manager for that matter the sheriff answers only to the voters, so they are a little bit more free in what they can say without having to worry about politics. And that's that's pretty much the same all around the country. But in Florida, there are a few sheriffs that have made some pretty bold statements in comparison to what we hear in the politically correct world we live in. Uh, sheriff Marcino, right after Hurricane Ian hit southwest Florida, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not, I'm not reading the direct quote, but he made a a comment to people that if you're going to loot you're probably going to get shot. And if you loot and you get caught, we're going to put you in jail. Now when he said people are going to get shot, he wasn't talking about sheriffs deputies doing it. He was talking about the people that own property in Florida. And so they've made some statements that other people just go, "Oh my gosh." And But there are those that stand up and cheer that there are law enforcement officers out there that say we've got to enforce the laws. We have to do what's necessary to keep the streets safe. You get frustration. So George Gascon is a name I've talked about quite often. I really didn't have any interaction with Mr. Gascoigne when he was the chief of police in Mesa, but he was there. Were – let's just put it this way. I know a lot of cops, and not many of them were sad to see him go. He went to Northern California where his policies as the district attorney, or we would call it the county attorney, but the district attorney in uh, San Francisco, um, people were furious because they weren't enforcing criminal laws. He's doing the same thing in L.A. So they now have set up a program where they are busing. Transporting by shuttle employees from their car to their city office buildings because people are so fed up with the lack of enforcement by the city and by the L.A. County that they are confronting city employees outside of work. So their answer to the problem is let's shield them from their car to the front door, from their front door to their car. But people are fed up. Now, I don't know the legal ramifications of what happens. Could you possibly make the link between someone that sold a substance and someone that dies from the substance? There was a mother that was quoted in a recent story saying that mothers whose children have been victims of this stuff, they don't call it an overdose because it isn't an overdose on drugs. Your child died because they were poisoned. Is this a direction that the country feels safe and going? Um, I mentioned earlier this morning, and it's worth repeating, with this epidemic, um, where I live now here in Phoenix and where I lived growing up share similarities you might not think are possible, that there would be a huge difference between a sleepy little town on the Gulf of Mexico in southwest Florida and Phoenix, I mean, climate wise and the mountains, and there's a lot of different things. But in South Florida in the late 70s and the early 80s, we watched the explosion and literally the explosion of the cocaine epidemic there's a documentary I watched yesterday I think it's in a few parts and it's called Cocaine Cowboys and it's it documents the transition from the Colombians dealing in marijuana with the US and US distributors and when it shifted to cocaine and the billions of dollars and how much of Miami was built with that money and it became something with the movie, with the TV shows Miami Vice and the movie uh, Scarface starring Al Pacino that it kind of romanticized but there was murder and mayhem all over South Florida, but here this connection is this: there was such an uprising in crime, and it coincided with a couple of different things. Um, the Mario Boatlifts, which listen, I'm so close with some of the Mariolitos, there were very, very good people that have come to this country and become great Americans because of the Mario Boatlift. But there was a negative connotation to being called a Mariolito because of the criminal element that was also a part of this. And what happened was there was so much crime in South Florida and they could not hire enough officers fast enough that they started lowering their standards in the city of Miami and what it took to be a police officer. And they paid for it down the road because corruption infiltrated the Miami Police Department. Federal government had to come and step in. There were actually police officers that were trafficking in drugs. They were insuring loads and transporting loads in squad cars of cocaine in Miami. There was that much money and corruption that was going on. We're talking about bags full of money buried in people's yards and hidden in people's houses, stash houses with eight, ten million dollars in cash in the houses. So when you see something like that, and then you try to fight it and you lower your standards. What ended up happening was the Miami Police Department for a long time took a step backwards. So there is a special kind of person that it takes to have the character to withstand. And not everybody, I mean, I, would, I don't know if I, these phrase everybody has a price is true. But when you look at this, everybody has to be concerned. Because when you have that much money to throw around... You've got to have good people that are willing to stand up. And if you look at what's happening now in comparison to the 1980s, we know what's happening in Mexico. But there's Americans that are trafficking in fentanyl. They know how deadly it is. They're aware of how deadly it is. And yet, because of that, because of the financial gain that they can make, they are willing to watch other Americans die to distribute this poison. Should we be increasing the penalties? It's a great question. I think it's a phenomenal question. I want to go, uh, coming up in just a moment, I want to go back to the Border Patrol conversation because the chief, Ortiz, testified that we do not have effective control of the border. So we'll talk what that means coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, if you'd like to become a Phoenix Suns insider, get all the latest news and the breaking news on the Suns uh, trip and quest for the NBA championship. Just text the word Valley to 411923 3 That's Valley to 411923 3 all right, an interesting um, t- bit of testimony from the chief of, uh, the, uh, of Border Patrol. And um, I want you to hear uh, Chief Ortiz as he is speaking in testimony. He's asked, you'll hear it, he's asked about do we have effective control or operational control of the border? The politics of one thing, but his answer to me is scary. Chief Ortiz, does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. Okay. Thank you for that. I'd like to share it with the American people. This is the actual definition of operational control that is written into the code well before I came to Congress, the definition. And I appreciate the honesty of Chief Ortiz. Do you think that uh, – let's play a video clip here. I just want to share this question. Will you testify under oath right now? Do we have operational control, yes or no? Yes, we do. We have operational control of the borders. Yes, we do. and so he was called a liar and they went on to talk about operational control and what that means. The reason why this is an issue – and you can't take the politics out of politics. It's just going to be when the Republicans have an opportunity to hammer a, a Democrat policy that is flawed. This is what you're going to get and vice versa. They're not wrong. And this is where – again, if I, I – wish I could – I wish I had the magic formula to make us come together on the things that we all should be agreeing about. Um, That border security is not immigration. Border security is about this fentanyl epidemic. It's about the crime that comes across our border. It's about the potential for terrorism. It is all of those things. And every one of us should be concerned with border protection. I'll go a step further and how it bleeds over into the immigration part of things. If you are someone that doesn't like separated families at the border, if you are someone that doesn't believe the Remain in Mexico policy was one that was good. By the way, that's the new policy of the Biden administration. Apply for your asylum on the other side of the border. We've seen a dramatic drop in the following the last two months of people crossing the border because of that policy shift back to what the Trump administration was doing. But if you don't like it, if you don't like Remain in Mexico If you don't like all of these things that are happening when Republicans are in charge, then you are someone that should want the border secured so it's orderly again, it works together. It can work together. The problem is there is nobody out there on either side of the aisle that is saying, we agree on so much of this. Can we not get together about the things we agree on? You're going to get what you want on the other side of this aisle. If you want comprehensive immigration reform, it starts with border security. If you want a better system of immigration that allows good people to come to this country either to work in jobs that Americans aren't doing or to come here permanently, get a green card and work their way towards citizenship, if you want a better system of that, we have to have border security. All of this starts, it begins and ends with border security. And where is the leadership saying this? The things that you hear in this testimony are absolutely true. Chief Ortiz is right. There's a story now about our northern border. As a matter of fact, let me find the headline. Border crossings from Canada into New York, Vermont, and New Hampshire are up tenfold, So it's not just the southern border. It is a policy issue. Yes, it's been bad before. It's never been fixed. It's always been a criminal element. All of this is true. It's never been worse than it's been for the last two-plus years. Never been worse. And there has to be a recognition of that. We, because of the world we live in, Whether you're concerned about terrorism, which everyone should be, or you're concerned about the massive amount of fentanyl that is murdering, that is killing our young people, the border is the key issue. And I'll be honest. I agree with you that part of that issue of border control is what do we do with Americans that are trafficking in this poison? You don't have to run from that. Every time I talk about the issue of the cartels and I talk about the issue that they create with this with the trafficking in this drug, somebody messages me and says, you realize it's Americans that are bringing that in the vast bit numbers, the biggest numbers, it's American citizens. Yes, I'm aware. I am aware that it's Americans. I, I, I talked about this documentary recently. I watched it, and it was by chance I watched it last night. Um, I watched it. It was called Cocaine Cowboys. It interested me because I, was, I lived not in Miami – on the other coast, where it wasn't as crazy, but it still was crazy, when the cocaine happened. I moved to Florida in 1977 or 78, and I lived there until 1995, when all of this was a big deal. And the, the similarities to what we're seeing in Arizona, it's crazy. The difference being that cocaine was a drug that everybody was doing. It was from doctors and lawyers, and I know some of them do fentanyl, but fentanyl is different because it's such a poison. But if we don't handle this, if we allow the cartels in Mexico to continue to grow in power, look what they did in Colombia – Do we want that with our neighbors to the south? I mean, this is as much about the people of Mexico as it is about the people of the U.S. There are good people. The vast majority of the Mexican people are people that deserve our respect. They deserve our business. They deserve our help. And the good people of Mexico should not feel intimidated by the cartel's growth and the tactics they use to force their will on people. And we as Americans should not be allowing nor excusing Americans that are a part of the problem. But if we secured the border in a much better fashion, if we made it much more difficult for them to come here, bring their stuff here, that was part of this cocaine cowboys thing. The federal government played a big role. Reagan jumped in at the time it was president or vice president H.W. George H.W. Bush when the vice president jumped into this and then when he became president the more we did but in South Florida you know they had um homestead air force base and they were using federal government assets whether it was the um coast guard or or the airplanes from the from the uh air force bases they were made a concerted effort federally to slow down and stem the tide they did investigations the fbi made cases against these cartels they put people in prison they started interdicting and interrupting their lines of communication and their ability to distribute and over time it was fixed we need a federal government that will once again look at this situation and say we have got to have more of an involvement. We don't even have enough agents working at the border. When do we address it? How do we address it? All right. Uh, coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the economy um, because there's a lot of concern. Social Security is one of them. But what about gas prices? There are some new things that are happening that may ease prices at the pump. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks are heading to Chase Field for one night only, sharing the stage on December 8th. Tickets go on sale next Friday at 10 a.m., but you might just might win a pair of tickets by going to the contest line over at KTAR.com. Now, that's a contest I wish I could win. Um... The economy, I, I ranted a little earlier about Social Security because it's in trouble. Social Security is in trouble, Medicare and Medicaid is in trouble. Um I am at that age where I think about it a little bit more. I'm fifty five. Um I've got good insurance through this company I work for, but I like to retire someday. Um all of these things are concerns for everyone. When America makes promises, they're supposed to keep them. But our government's not really good at keeping promises. I don't think it's bad people necessarily. I think it's the nature of the system. Go ask a veteran about what they've been fighting to try to get into the VA for care. Now, I don't want to start beating up the VA. When you get into the VA and you work with the doctors and the nurses and the care providers there, they will tell you that it is great when you're in. It just took forever to get in. They were understaffed. They were overwhelmed. And then you had leadership that was lying on paperwork saying that veterans were getting in for care uh, uh, much quicker than they actually were, which made the government believe that there really wasn't a problem that existed that was huge. And now you're talking about a system that is headed in that that direction Medicare and Medicaid are systems as people, A, are getting older and B, living longer, you are going to see strains on those systems. And I've been ranting and raving about this when people – and I, I would like for you to ask that question of yourself. If you are of the mindset, keep your hands off my Social Security. Keep your hands off Medicare and Medicaid. I don't want these Republicans messing with it. OK, that's your political leanings, but I want you to think about this. What do we do? How confident are you in the way the system is as much of our national debt that is created by virtue of keeping these programs propped up? How confident are you that your children and your grandchildren will have the same opportunities that you might have? And what do we do to make sure we're keeping our promises to Americans because we have it in other cases? If somebody said we need to have an alternate system or we need to fix this system permanently, we need to rip the Band-Aid off. We need to take a real look at what's going on here, where it's good, where it's bad, and where it's failing, and we got to address it honestly. But everything in America has turned to such partisan politics. It It starts, I believe, with the voters. I'm sorry. It begins with us. It begins with the electorate. We're angry. We hate the opposition so much. Republicans hate Democrats. Democrats. Democrats hate um, uh, Republicans and Independents hate both, and we just end up in this huge war with each other. And any time a Republican wants to work with a Democrat on a piece of legislation, they both get crushed by their bases. So you get speeches like you see from um, you know from Chuck Schumer on one side and from uh, Marco Rubio on the other or Ted Cruz on the other. And whether you're right with some of the points you're making or not, the vitriol drives everybody apart. When you've got an issue, that everybody can see is broken, like Medicare and Medicaid, you would be doing yourself a good service. But we all know the politics crushes everything. You look at gas prices. The Republicans have an energy plan, which many, many, many people are getting behind because it would lower costs. And it would expedite a lot of the repairs that need to be made and the upgrades that need to be made to kind of unleash the American oil. But that goes against the policies of this administration where everything is about... Um, uh, climate change, so instead of it being a demonizing thing instead of saying President Biden is ruining America and we 're never going to get our country back and and or instead of saying on the other side the Republicans want to kill the planet and they don 't care if everybody dies and all of those things instead of that happening, why not lay out your separate cases i 'm all in favor of it i 've been told no before i 've been told no a lot i've been i 've walked into a situation thinking that i 'm a one hundred percent right on an issue and not Get my way and still leave there knowing I did my best. It didn't go my way this time. But we don't debate like that anymore. Now it is a hammer. You go back, this is nothing to do with energy prices. But, you know, I've been in radio full time since 2009. And if you go back and look at what happened when President Obama got elected, When President Obama got elected, uh, Republicans said it's going to ruin the country, that he will ruin the country. When it came time for his reelection and he ran against Mitt Romney, the Republican mantra was if President Obama gets reelected, we will lose America and we will never, ever get it back. Go back to the administration before that. I was a part of the Bush campaign in 2004 when George W. Bush, Bush 43, was running for reelection. I never thought I would witness such hatred toward a person. In my life, as there was toward George W. Bush, he was he. And again, I've only had limited interaction with him. It wasn't like we were hanging out, but in every interaction I've ever had with him, he was genuine, and he was kind, and he was funny, and he was a good man. Even if you disagreed with him, he was a good man. And the hatred for that man—that was my—that was my introduction into American politics. And back then, the Democrats said he's ruining the country. They had these W's with a red line through it. Not my president. That's where that whole mantra came from. Not my president and all this stuff. And they hated him. And then, same thing for Obama. The Republicans hated him when he won re-election. We were told we are going to this country is going to be ruined. We will never get it back. But let's remind everyone what happened. And I'm talking to my Republican friends. What happened eighteen months after Donald Trump won the election? The and I'm talking Republican perspective on America. We had the best economy we'd seen in. 50 years in many places, the huge economic growth, zero inflation, wage growth, job growth. Um, We had no inflation happening. Unemployment went down. It was huge. So Obama didn't ruin the country. He wasn't able to. One person's not going to ruin America. So to the Democrats, I said, you keep saying the same thing about Donald Trump. He's going to ruin America. We'll never get it back. Well, we got Joe Biden now. The country isn't ruined in your mind, is it? Well, now you've got the Democrats saying that the Republican plan on energy is going to kill the planet. As a matter of fact, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Thunberg, Greta Thunberg had to take down a tweet from 2019 that said we were going to lose the entire planet if we didn't change the way we did things by 2023 or 2018. So it was a five year plan. So we continue to hear this this doomsday clock for people on both sides of the political aisle. But there are so many areas where things can be done in the right direction that we should agree on. We can't work together because our base won't let us work together. At some point, people have to stand up and work together. At least that's the way it seems to me. In a moment, we're going to talk about free speech because I love the First Amendment. I love the conversation. There is – do we need more protection on free speech on college campuses? There's a bill in the legislature here in Arizona that says, yes, we do. We'll tell you what that is coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A uh, Great conversations going on on social media. And it makes me laugh about this topic here because it isn't. The conversations I'm having are not about um, free speech, but this comes into play. There's a bill in the Arizona Senate that aims to expand First Amendment protections on publicly funded college campuses. It passed along party lines out of committee. Um, I believe it was, it was out of committee. Oh, it passed the Senate along party lines, so it's already out of the Senate. Um, it continues to move through the House. It's Senate Bill 1013, sponsored by John Kavanaugh from Fountain Hills, that would amend language in two existing revised state statutes related to free expression on public universities and community colleges. The The bill text would change the first statute to specify... That a person who is lawfully present on a university or community college may engage in expressive activity, including a protest or demonstration in any area where the person is lawfully present. It would also change the second statute. Um, to reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. Uh, The reason why this is being done, Kavanaugh said, that it it talks about people being lawfully present and that uh, critics of the bill, including Christine Marsh, a Democrat from Phoenix, question the meaning of lawfully present and say it lacks a concrete definition. If a student is lawfully present when in the middle of class, it was just too vague. Big difference, but okay. Kavanaugh said, we've had previous bills that guarantee the right to demonstrate and protest But there's more to the First Amendment than demonstrating and protesting. The reason why this is happening is because it isn't everywhere. But you realize that they embrace certain political ideologies on a co- college campus where they bring in speakers or they hire professors that, su- that submit or t- agree to one uh, political ideology. And when somebody from another political ideology, they're, they're Nazis and they're fascists and they're racist and they're all these other things and they want them thrown off campus. Most recently, Charlie Kirk had eggs and rocks thrown in an event where he was. We've had protesters speak up when uh, people were brought in. There was a lawyer that was brought in to speak. I think that was one of Trump's lawyers, and they got booed out of the room. We know that um, uh, there are just different – Ann Coulter has been booed off of college campuses. They've had to cancel events. I always thought college was the free exchange of ideas. So when you've got students walking around a college campus in a Che Guevara T-shirt having no idea – who that person really is. And yet you can wear it and nobody says a thing. And you've got a group of kids that show up in a museum at one of the, one of our museums in this country. At the one of the Smithsonian's and they're wearing pro life t shirts and they're thrown out. Now, eventually, that employee was fired for throwing those kids out, but they were told to turn your shirt inside out or leave because they didn't like their political ideology. There is an issue with the First Amendment when you can't tolerate what somebody else says, which is why I, I said I'm having some good conversations on social media. I'm arguing with teachers. I'm arguing with other people in education about my stance on this new Empower hotline, which they hate. If they hate it so much, it tells me there's some value in it. And the reason why I say that is because if it was stupid. As stupid as they say it is, they wouldn't care. They'd call it stupid and they'd move on. And we'll talk more about that after 11 o'clock. But the idea that we can't have conversations. Here's the right in Massachusetts. The right to be rude was upheld by the Massachusetts Supreme Court. The ruling sent wave of sent waves of consternation across the state where many local select board and school committee members have emerged battle scarred from the coronavirus pandemic and its fierce disputes over masks, vac- vaccines and remote learning. So I've never seen people at a school board meeting behave like I saw people protesting abortion out in front of the Supreme Court. Never saw it happen. If you remember the the uh, the hearings to confirm Justice Kavanaugh, there was uh, there have been pictures. You can look them up because I think they're humorous, because when you see somebody so completely out of mind, I have a sick sense of humor. When you get so angry that you have lost your mind and temper, I find that funny when I see videos of people, they call them the Karen videos where people are just acting like idiots because they don't like how you've parked or where you've parked and you wonder what is going on with you. Um, I think those things are funny. But out in front of the Supreme Court, there's videotapes of young people clawing at the door trying to get into the Supreme Court because Brett Kavanaugh might be confirmed. We know that people were storming office buildings at the at the, at the the Senate and all these other things that were going on. That was seen as a mostly peaceful, politically reasonable protest considering the seriousness of what was going on. Parents went to school board meetings. I don't know of one instance of anybody breaking anything, raised voices and whatever else. Absolutely. But I don't know about anything getting broken when the when the defund the police movement was taking over the city of Phoenix buildings and when meetings would be there and somebody that was standing up and speaking pro cop tried to speak, they would all yell in unison, mic check. And they would mic check each other. So they were shouting down opposing voices that was seen as a perfectly acceptable form of protest. But you go into a school board meeting and you dare to question the school board board, you're called a domestic terrorist and they want the FBI called in. That's the problem with free speech because you call it hate speech. I talked yesterday about the definition of woke. When you tell me what I mean by what I say, because the words I use, you interpret a different way, which means I mean it a different way, and it's a microaggression, that's woke, But if you have a right to scream and yell at city council meetings about defunding the police and shout down voices that disagree with you, parents have an absolute right to go to uh, school board meetings and have their voices heard. And if you're going to respect one, you don't have to agree with it. You should respect the other. I respected the movement. I just didn't agree with them. You don't respect movements that disagree with yours. That's where the problem lies. We're going to talk a little bit more about that just after 11 o'clock. New York is going to lower its standards for standardized testing. Is this a bad idea? We're going to discuss all of it next.